it slices, it dices, it makes all your dreams come true. The Creators Collective provides information not only on woodworking, but metalworking, leather, electronics and more. But that's not all. It also comes with three hosts to answer all your creating questions. Now, listen along as James Wright, Zach Herberholtz and William Walker fumble through answering your questions live each Thursday morning. Listen in now and you can have this amazing podcast for the simple monthly installment of a Patreon subscription. But we're just getting started. And we're back for another exciting episode of the Creators Collective. This will be a rather boring week. We have no guest. It's not Christmas yet. And we're all just kind of hungover. (laughs) (laughs) We're all hammered right now. It's 10 a.m. and we decided to just start drinking early. What are you talking about? I just kept it rolling, man. Was... <laughs> we should we should do an evening podcast where we, where we you know have a few drinks. Yeah, Zach's talking about uh, the coffee having too much effect, and Will's talking about being groggy, and I'm like totally zapped from a CrossFit session last night that killed me. So it's a it's a fun one, but uh, we're gonna have some fun today. So it'd be I a rather say... demure podcast. <laughs> yes, nevertheless. <laughs> Uh, I do want to say a huge thank you to our patrons on Patreon, particularly Darren Mates and Caleb Harris. Cable, Caleb yep. Harris, if you can make this too. And if you become a patron on Patreon, I can butcher your name too. <laughs> uh, so thank you for that. And if you want to listen to us live, you can catch us on YouTube every Thursday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Otherwise, you can catch us on our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and the list goes on. So uh, let's dive into what we've been working on. Zach, what you got? Um, <laughs> it's hard too? for me to remember like what I did two days ago, let alone in, an entire week. Uh, <laughs> I think I forged, I think I have like four or five hammers that I forged, and I need to finish up some of the handles on those. And my my buddy Jake from uh, J.R. Palm Knives came over yesterday, and look what I finished. Ooh, nice Damascus. Yeah. For those of you not watching, uh, Zach is holding up a Damascus knife closely in front of the camera. That handle. Pretty cool. So it's a, it's a, uh, is that walnut? No, that is Coca Bolo. Ah. And the hidden tang. It's a frame construction there. Um, so I need to, still need to finish it a bit. But yeah, I mean, what, what a learning experience. Um, there's something, it's funny. It's, it's weird. I think it's a good thing. So like I look at this thing. And all I see, and all I see when I look at it is like all the things that I wish I would have done a little bit differently and all the things that bother me about it. And like, Mm -hmm. there's just little tiny details that like drive me insane about it. But then if I like set it down and I walk away and I come back five minutes later and I say, this is the first knife you forged. This is the first time you've done Damascus. Then I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That's amazing for like my first forged knife and the first time I've actually done like pattern welded steel. So it's it's really I don't know it's kind of interesting I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one that has this when they do projects where you kind of have to step back and put things in perspective because yeah. it's really easy to you well, you're know, your like, own worst critic right like yeah but I mean yeah exactly and I think like it's important to have aspirations uh, I think that's crucial I think that's critical to aspire to be able to do something or to to, to be um you know to have what sort of I guess that's it uh, aspirations but when you see uh, you know, that's, that's a big motivator to see somebody who's doing stuff or to see things that you want to build or that you aspire to to be able to create. Um, and I think it's good. I think it's equal parts. It's necessary to have equal parts um, 
critique with your own work and satisfaction. Yeah. If you don't have both of those, if if you're 100% satisfied with everything you do, you're you're not going to improve. And so when I and if you're 100% critical of what you do, then you're going to lose your motivation and you're going to quit. So I think it's like it's like everything. I think you have to have a balance of uh, satisfaction and critical thinking or like critical being critical of your work, I guess. I don't know. So I think that, yes. Uh, so when I first started in photography, somebody told me, somebody that I really looked up to told me that there's always going to be somebody better than you and to acknowledge that and to always look for inspiration in others. And that's not to say that you're never going to get to, you know, this, you know, the highest echelon of skill, but being able to recognize great work and aspire to kind of achieve that and always be inspired um, is, is like you said, keeps you motivated, keeps you going, keeps you, but you know, also focus on make your, make your stuff as good as you can for your skill set. And yeah. Yeah. So So, uh, Jim Dockrell asked in the live chat, is there a way to make Damascus today the same as the original way? Or is that a lost art? So this is one of the things (laughs) that is like, this is like the bipartisan political debate of the knife world is like you have people that are like, Oh, I made a Damascus knife or whatever. And then you have like the people in the corner, like that's not Damascus. Damascus has been a lost art for 5,000 years. And like, I think it's splitting hairs. Like I think there, there is a lot of probably the way they used to do it is different back then, but the nomenclature, like, Everybody knows it as Damascus. Your layman knows it as Damascus. Nobody gets on Instagram and searches for pattern welded steel knives. Like that's not that's not did, a hashtag. Like, did you ever watch that Damascus rant by Shock Green Beetle? Green Beetle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love the way he summed it up. Like, yep. Like he, this guy knows more than me. Like most people when it comes to making knives, but and uh, I can't. You might be able to paraphrase it better than yeah. me. I'm not a very eloquent speaker. <laughs> Come see my talk at WorkbenchCon. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Green Beetle did a rant uh, specifically for those people that are, oh, that's not Damascus, it's lost art for 5,000 years, Um, where he sums up and uses references from uh, books and, and, you know, where people say that historical references incites them, um, where he, he states that Damascus pattern welded steel is just a, a name um, and that it was kind of accepted from like 18, the 18 whatevers um, as pattern welded steel can be referred to as Damascus more specifically in like gun barrels. Um, it's been appropriated whether or not it's different or the same. Like that is the word that people know the thing by. Yeah. Like if you want to get when you go into any hobby group or anything is that there are, items that the name has changed over time in their meaning. But like, for instance, drone. Uh, we think of drone as a you know a four-propeller octocopter type thing. Uh, whereas up until four or five years ago, drone was a very specific term to a self-guided, self-flying plane. Right. Um, and so it was something that was, it controlled itself. You weren't controlling. Well, 90% of the drones today aren't self-guided. They may be augmented, but you still control them. Um, Whereas it's no longer referred to as a quadcopter, an octocopter, it's it's a drone, and so that's now the name for it. And you can have a gay old time flying them as well. 
Yeah, yeah, it's still the same. It's, thing. it's another word that's changed. <laughs> Words change, meanings change, things, yeah. things. You know, like, and, and in the social media world, I mean, if I, if I, if I were tech, if if I followed the, you know, the other camps mentality of like, well, technically, it's not real Damascus. Then nobody would ever see my posts because nobody's, like I said, nobody's going to get on Instagram and type in like, oh, I want to see a pattern welded steel a pattern welded steel knife people don't search for that they search for damascus so whether or not it's i don't care either way but like if that's if that's what things are being tagged as i sure sure as heck want to tag my stuff like that so that it can be found so and and i mean i the the thing that i i think most of the views you have like your makers you have the people that build stuff and they're they're they listen to podcast you know they're the ones that are listening to us, I, I think it's pretty safe to say our listeners make stuff. But the majority of people on social media that that watch your videos and find your post don't, I don't think, or they're they're interested in it, but they're not like actually, you know, uh, I don't want to discredit them and say they're not makers, but like they're not, they're not. Uh, what what am I trying to say? Do you guys you guys following me, or am I getting way off here? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm with you. I'm tracking. Okay. I'm, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like the majority of fans, followers, views, supporters out there, and for us, probably aren't as heavily vested into making themselves. Um, like eighty percent of my YouTube views are from people who don't subscribe to me. So same, and I'm imagining the same thing as with Instagram. So you, you kind of have to know your audience a little bit and cater to them. I'm not catering towards, typically you're not catering to people that are way better than you at what you do. Um, and I don't mean that to sound like conceited or anything, but I'm willing to bet that most of the people that like watch, uh, you know, me or, or Will or James, your stuff, they're watching it because there's, there's some value that you're providing. There's some knowledge. They might pick up a few tips and tricks. They're not watching your stuff going like, oh, that's cake. I can do way better than that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't people that, that watch it solely for enjoyment, but I'm willing to bet that like the vast majority of your audience is probably, um, or our audience, I guess. Yeah. You know, that has changed over time with mine. Uh, when I first got started, most of my audience were makers wanting to learn how to. And if I put up an artistic video, it it tanked. It did not do well. Now, over the last year to six months, that has completely flip-flopped. And now if I put up a video that is um, solidly how-to with a lot of information, they, they do not do well. But the artistic videos that go a little smoother, uh, those do really well. Um, and so that's that's the the change in audience as the channel has grown. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm focusing more on the the second channel now is I'm doing a lot of the how tos on there so that I can still work with that audience that I like of that are that are focused on the how to the information uh, that want to build it, but yet still cater to the people who are just randomly watching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like there are a lot of people out there that I would say I am probably on par with. Uh, skill set wise um and not a lot that they do surprises me um like for instance uh chris salimony of four eyes furniture he just put out a video on making uh an outfeed assembly table um 
and there's no mind blowing joinery or anything, but it was an enjoyable video. And I watch it just because I'm like, Oh, like that gives me inspiration to do Mm -hmm. something similar. You know, like it wasn't, you know, hounds tooth dovetails or, or anything like that, you know, that I'm like, I don't know. I, I I think we're all kind of different. Like where Zach, I feel like you have a very different channel than both of ours where we're kind of wood centric. Um, and you're more metal centric. Mm-hmm. So, and there's not, I mean, there's, you know, a gajillion woodworking channels, but only a handful of, of really, you know, metal fabrication, forging, that kind of thing. So I think a lot of your audience is looking for knowledge. Yeah. I guess that, that makes sense. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I have a question about that knife though. No, that <laughs> come on. Okay. Uh, is that, is that, going to be that hidden tang um is that going to be epoxied in or are you doing like a threaded pommel like a threaded Uh, pommel epoxy so you can see like the frame there's there's nowhere for the thing to go through um and i wanted to do because i've done some stock removal before uh and you know we we forged this one a few weeks ago and did all the like hand sanding and the handle and stuff yesterday but i wanted to do something that i hadn't done before and like for some reason hidden tangs always kind of scared me so i'm like let's do one that way i can say i've done one but it's actually that's kind of one of the cool things that he showed me is that like when you do the the frame construction so for people who can't see it's literally like a sandwich so you have your tang um, of the knife and it's a three-piece construction the handle is so you do you 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 uh, plane down a piece of wood so it's the thickness of the tang and then you hollow out the section where the tang is so it's like a sleeve that slips over the tang it's the same width and then you sandwich your two pieces of wood around it and one of the cool things is that um, when you put it together or when you epoxy it use just a little bit not a ton you don't want it to squeeze out into that pocket but if you coat the tang in like wax which is what we did paste wax some people wrap it in teflon just to be safe then you can glue your handle together and before it fully cures you can pull out your tang or pull out your blade and then you can when you go to shape your handle you can do it without it being attached to the knife which is amazing because you can you can get in there and it's just it's way easier to manipulate and there's there's certain things that shaping your handle with the blade still on it's terrifying because if you accidentally bump your blade on the grinder and there's just certain things too so this is a neat little trick that that I learned. I don't know if that answers your question. Remember what your question was? It does answer my question. I was asking if it was a threaded pommel, like uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the knives. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. You put a you, like you thread the tang, and then you put like a brass whatever, and that kind of yeah. all pulls it all together. Yeah. So that, yeah, I mean, I'd love I'd love to do you know at some point do one of each so that I can kind of make and form an objective opinion about which style I like and that sort of thing. But yeah, there's some some things with the Damascus you probably can't see, but there's like some kind of the the sheen kind of differs in a few mm-hmm. spots, and I think that's either from like contamination when I was etching it, so like oils from my fingers or something, mm-hmm. or it could have been mild like decarb from when we forged it. So I don't know. I still have a lot to learn, even with yeah, just the just call it a hamon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's not even it's not really noticeable unless you look for it but like i said cool. picking apart my own work well uh will uh, what what you got going on uh well i delivered that dresser last week uh the clients flipped over it they absolutely loved it the delivery was interesting um 
because the the people that are going to the husband uh, is a little long in the tooth and uh, wears a hearing aid and uh, you know wasn't as brawny as a twenty five year old um, <laughs> and so we were trying to carry this dresser upstairs into their living room and then upstairs through a very, very narrow hallway or uh, stairway that we had to take the handrailing off just to fit the thing. Um, and he looked like he was going to drop it a few times and he was wearing a hearing aid. So I was trying to talk to him, but he couldn't hear me. And it was just, it was interesting. The clients really, really loved it. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to finish the video on that um, this week, probably next week though, if I'm, being completely honest with myself. Um, so that uh, that was really exciting. I was really proud of that build. And a lot of people were following along on Instagram. And uh, so I think that's going to be a popular video. Um, I, I My neighbor friend of mine uh, had a standing dead red oak on his property. And he was having an issue. He couldn't tell which way it wanted to fall. It wasn't near any structures or anything, but he asked me if I would come help him fell it. And I said, yeah, sure. So we were down in this bottom land next to a Creek and I'm kind of looking at it and I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure it wants to fall this way. I'm pretty sure the weight of the tree is on this side. So I'll cut a notch on that side and then I'll do the back cut. Well, I put the notch on it, uh, started cutting the tree and it's probably 25 inches in diameter, maybe 26 like it's a it's a decent sized red oak, uh, and then the tree started to lean back the opposite way of the notch that I cut the felling notch, uh, and it pinched the blade pinched the bar in the trunk, and I was like, oh man, okay, well there's no getting that out because I've got you know twenty thousand pounds of tree on top of it, um, uh, so we'll just take his saw and we'll just finish the cut from the other side and it'll fell the other way, and then I'll get the saw afterwards. Well. So we started cutting that way and it, you know, starts to go timber. We're well cleared out of the way. And the base of the trunk where the cut was kicked out off of the stump and landed directly on my steel MS650 90cc chainsaw, uh, completely (laughs) bent the bar like in half, uh, bent the handle, you know, that kind of cages the, the, the power head of the chainsaw. And I took the bar off, took the chain off, and it actually still starts up. It's leaking a little bit of fuel, so I think I, I just, yeah, I think it, but it still starts up, so I need a new bar. But that was, that really hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> made me weep a little. Uh, so, and it's funny, I put that photo on Instagram, and, uh, you know, everyone, it, I think everyone thought it was a lot scarier than it was. Um, like, it was a very, it was a very controlled cut, like, it mm-hmm we were never, you know, worried that the tree was going to fall on us. Um, it just started going the other way than we wanted it to. And so we're like, okay, well, we'll cut it the other way. Um, but everybody was very concerned on Instagram. <laughs> I was more concerned about my saw. Uh, uh, oh, I hit 40,000 subscribers on my, on my YouTube channel this week. So that was really exciting. Congrats. That was kind of a, thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, it's a perfect time for this dresser video because I think it's going to be very popular. And, uh, I'm going to keep, keep riding that wave. And because my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, uh, I am diving into macrame. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's, college. Remind me what that is again. Is that the uh, tying knots? 
Decorative knots, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, you know, those hanging planters? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's exactly what I'm doing is uh, my wife uh, – my, my, it's a dream of my wife's to have the kind of home where we have the plants that overflow the pots and hang and you know, like <laughs> Especially pothos, with your, your beams and all that, that would – yeah stuff. exactly so we took like a plant class like how not to kill your plants class uh and it's a whole thing so this year i'm making her macrame hanging pot holders and i actually turned a little like saucer dish thing that i'm gonna that i coated in epoxy that's gonna anyway so that's that's what i'm up to <laughs> and i just want to say uh the garage woodworker also commented on instagram and just commented in the live chat but was the tree okay uh but yeah so james what are you working on man uh a bunch of little christmas gifty things um just quick and easy projects that uh you can easily make with a few tools in the shop so this last week i did a ball and a block so put a one inch marble inside of a block through a seven eighths inch hole um it's a great one for the kids because they're trying to figure out how to get the ball out of the block um i did an infinite candle so it's a like a one-way mirror on all sides of the candle so when you look into it you see infinite candles running off in all directions and hmm. my my wife and several of the women who watch are like oh i've got to make one of them. um so i might do another version of that because there's a couple different ways it can be done um i did uh well I actually i'm working on projects for next week so i'm making a nutcracker um i'm Ooh. making a handheld propeller you know those old toys that you spin yeah, the, fly. the really gig thing right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, let's see what else. Oh, and then I'm working on the scroll saw, you know, that, uh, scroll saw that I started like a year ago. I'm finally getting back around to getting that up and running big foot powered scroll saw. I want to actually, one of the goals of it is I want to build uh, wooden gear clocks, like a wall hanging, uh, oh, yeah. driven wooden here, wooden geared clock. Hmm. So we'll that'd see. be super cool. So what, what do you guys want for Christmas? Like reasonably, like if, if like what would be a cool... I have an Amazon list for that. Oh, yeah? yeah I, I, whenever I have something I want, I put it on the list, and then if I buy it, then it comes off the list. That way other people know that I haven't gotten it. Huh. This I year was really that. tough because, you know, parents and family have been asking for wish lists, but um, I don't need anything. Um, so it's been really hard, and the things that I want are too expensive for that I think are too expensive to ask yeah. for as a gift. Like, I would love, uh, you know, Lee Nielsen number four bra- bronze body plane, but it's, you know, over $300, yeah. um, which I think is too much to ask for, you know, unless everybody kind of went in on it together. And that's the one thing I get, which that wouldn't be a bad like thing. But then... gift registry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, gets you gift certificates to Lee Nielsen. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. Uh, I don't know. Zach, what do you want? You, I, you know, what? I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, so my wife and I are terrible at getting each other gifts because as soon as we get them, we're like, yeah, I'm just going to give it to you now. So, like <laughs> literally like Amazon boxes show up to the house. And we're like, here, it's for you. <laughs> it's like, this is your Christmas present. <laughs> so like, yeah, um, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like it's really weird. You get like getting to the point where, there's really not a whole lot that you can think of that you that you need because everything's too expensive. My, my to wife and I don't uh, don't give gifts to each other. It's just not not worth it. Yeah, we we do small like no not expensive things, but small thoughtful yeah. 
like we, like macrame plant hangers. We like re-upped our coffee stuff, so I got her like a, a nice new like coffee machine, and then she got like a nice grinder for me. So like a coffee like, grinder? Yeah, I mean, I, could, I already have. Okay. I have like so it's ridiculous because I have like I have like a six hundred dollar coffee grinder, like a commercial one that I have, mm-hmm. and I use that for my espresso because I have a really nice espresso machine. But then I do French press in the morning, and she does drip coffee. So we have like three different grinds of coffee that we need to do. <laughs> so it was time to to simplify the process. So like our our kitchen looks like a commercial coffee bar. It's ridiculous. Oh, you should. So that reminds me, coffee grinders, coffee, all that. I weeping a little bit, but I'm in a purge mode. Like where I'm just like getting rid of anything that I haven't used in the last two weeks. Um, but uh, I saw recently an antique coffee grinder, like where it has like the hand crank on yeah, top one and of then it drops into the bottom and you know, you pull out the drawer and then there's your coffee grounds. And it was like on Facebook marketplace for like 10 bucks. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh man, like I totally need to pick that up and restore it and make it cool and then actually use it. And I was like, no, that's just going to be a thing that lives on our countertop that I'll never actually use. Cause I don't know. They make, I think the one that I have is by a company called red rooster. And it's like, a, yeah. it's like a new, let's see if I can find it. Uh, it's like a new version of an old coffee grinder, old burr grinder, and they, they, they're great. Burr grinders are what you want for coffee. But yeah, so I passed up on it, and I'm kind of regretting it. But that would have been a cool project. You know, yeah. I did a, I did a video actually going through things to get a woodworker, um, and went through the things in my shop that basically I could never have enough of. So even if I have it, you can always get me more. I mean, you think of clamps and marking gauges and mallets, uh, but other things like. Uh, um, Glue applicating items, uh, tapes, things like that, uh, especially sandpapers that uh, you just, you're always going to be using the shop. So there's a lot of things that you can get and be like, oh, great. I need more of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Rags, glue, <laughs> all that. Uh, wow. This thing is expensive now. Holy crap. I bought mine. Yeah, I bought mine it from Stumptown Coffee in Portland, and I think it was like sixty bucks. I just put a link in the live chat. One hundred and thirty dollars. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous for a hand uh, grinder. I remembered something else I'm working on that I put out of my brain because I didn't want to think about it. But these walnut bar tops, uh, I'm not having a good time with them. Uh, so the walnut that I got, the bar tops are twelve and a half feet long, which means I need a twenty-five foot shop with like no tools in it. So I start like just jointing the boards. Like I had to move so everything the board in place and you flip your jointer upside down and you have two people to push it along the board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. Like I saw, so I moved like my whole, my whole metal working side of my shop. I moved like into the other corner of my shop just to fit these boards. I moved my jointer back and then even some of the boards, when I get to the end, it hits the cabinets on the other side of my shop. And so, like, the guard stays open. Like, it just passes over the, the cutter head. And it's, like, and you do this weird dance trying to, like, move stuff around the shop so you don't hit, like, everything in your shop. So and you not run them out of your, your walkout basement? Put the joiner that, in the doorway. That'd be the smart thing to do, James. But, <laughs> but then I wouldn't have any dust collection. But eh, I'll just, yeah. Yeah, that'd be the smart thing to do. Maybe I'll do that. You're so damn smart, James. Or get a hand plane and be at it for a month. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, all right. Well, we have a couple questions in the uh, chat. Um, the Garage Woodworker says, uh, why is it better to forge a hole rather than drift it? We talked about this last time. Um, but, you mean uh, rather than drill it? I'm going to go into it a little bit more. Um, I love Alex's videos. 
but half the time my ignorance is like why not just drill a hole rather than hammer a, a bit through it what do you think i'm going to defer to zach on that because i have no idea um so there are obviously pros and cons to each if you're working with thin material drilling is much faster if you're working with thick material uh punching a hole can be much faster but the big difference is actually in the amount of material removed punching a hole is punching and drifting a hole removes far less material than drilling a hole so like right, you're just removing the seal right Yes. So like, for instance, a bottle opener, Um, I have a picture on my Instagram one I did a few days ago. I don't have it in front of me or I'd show you it. But so if you, the way you do that is you start out with like, you punch a tiny slot. It's like maybe an eighth inch wide by a half inch tall or three quarter inch somewhere around there. And then through a series of like drifting, you drift that out to like a little over an inch. And so you end up with an inch hole but you only lost like, I don't know, what's an eighth times, you lost less than an eighth of an inch of square of material to make. So so your hole is essentially like, I don't feel like doing the math, but it's like, <laughs> it's like bigger. somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, eight times bigger than the material that you removed. Whereas, and mm-hmm. for instance, like say, so you have one inch stock that has a one inch hole in it and you have plenty of material around the outside. You obviously can't, drill a one inch hole in one inch stock otherwise you're gonna cut your bar in half so um depending on what you're trying to do it it you save material so that's that's the big reason also if you want to drill a non-circular hole like for a hammer handle yes yeah 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 have you ever used a piranha uh no but i've seen them used all the time we had one in my last shop and it was so much fun they're awesome uh, for What's those of you don't know, a piranha is basically a massive hydraulic punch that will slice or punch holes. And the one we had was capable of punching. Um, it was well, we had up to a three-inch die, so it would punch a three-inch die through one-inch thick steel. That's insane. So yeah, they're stick uh, a one-inch plate in there and punch out a three-inch hole just with piranhas. Like the one of the big brands, usually it's the iron workers, what the actual machine is called, yeah. but it's like piranhas, like the big manufacturer. Of but they're fast and efficient. But yeah. They're yeah you lose all amazing. that material when you punch it out. Well, if you don't lose it, cause you still have that chunk you can, you can do something with, but yeah. it's, not attached. it's, it's funny. Cause on hammers, you know, like the hammers that I forge, you know, you get the eye that's the size of a hammer eye, but the material that comes out is, I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it's not very big at all. I'm trying to think of something. Uh, comparable size wise um you know if i in the in the entire process of like an as forged hammer like i might lose maybe you know on say a on a two pound hammer i might lose an ounce total of material between like the slug that comes out when i punch it and grinding the faces the mm-hmm. slug is pretty small it's like the size of your fingernail maybe that hmm. that pushes out of the hammer eye cool uh, Zach, I, I have a quick question, um, yeah. just because I was a, a, a market. <laughs> um, A36 cold rolled. Uh, is that, do you happen to know the carbon content in that? Um, I don't. I know. So with mild steel, and there might be some technical corrections that I'm not privy to, but um, you, from, my, like, I, from what I understand is mild steel, you have like 1018. And then you have a 36 and they're both very, very, very similar. I think there's some, probably some alloy in the a 36 and it's possibly moderately harder. Um, 
but but it's but it's all it's both it, as far as like as far as I'm concerned and most of the people that I know it's both of them are mild steel and they're pretty pretty similar. Okay, so the reason I ask, and this is, I, mm, so I was at this uh, like a farmer's market, city market type thing, a lot of vendors, uh, craft vendors, things like that, and there's a guy that was selling quote-unquote carbon steel cookware and it's all you know hand raised and everything in his shop and so i got to talking to the guy and i was like oh really cool what's the uh what steel do you use for the carbon steel he's like oh it's just a36 and so i kind of had a an issue with him calling it carbon steel cookware if it wasn't like higher carbon i don't know well i mean technically i mean i think mild steel is carbon steel it has you know, 1018 has 0.18% carbon, which sounds ridiculously low, and it is, but considering that, like, high carbon steel, like 1095, that has 0.95% carbon. So, like, the tiniest, tiniest little variation, and, like, the hammers I make are 1045, so they're 0.45. Isn't that the, a- the anything difference between steel and iron is that it has carbon? Correct. Iron doesn't? Yeah, like 1018, like any 10 series, so with metal, you have... I mean, there's a lot of alloys and stuff that start with weird things, but like 10, um, any 10 series is what they call a simple uh, carbon steel. Uh, so like 1018 is mild steel. It's uh, the 10 means it's a carbon, simple carbon. So it's just steel or just iron with carbon as 0.18, or they say 18 points of carbon in it. 1045 is carbon steel with, so it's iron with 0.45 or 45 points. And, and okay. So- so, so technically it is, it is, um, you know, carbon steel. I think any, any steel is carbon steel and that's what make Brooklyn just typed. So, and that's what James said. And I guess he was just differentiating between, it's not like a cast iron hand no, and, carbon steel. and cast iron is like super high carbon. It's so much carbon that it's brittle. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. That was, that was my question. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think due to time, let's get on to the next set. We're actually going to be doing a creator's photo challenge, which will be due probably after the first of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think things are going to slow down for the holidays here. Yeah. Um, but this should be a good one for this time of year, and we're going to focus on Boca. Or how do you say it? Because I've heard it pronounced like seven different ways. Yeah, it's been pronounced seven different ways, and people will tell you you're pronouncing it wrong if you pronounce it any of those seven different ways. Um, it's like Damascus. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Damascus. Uh, so, bokeh, 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 bokeh. That's how you... Well, why don't you tell us what we're looking for, then? Okay, so uh, bokeh, or bokeh, is the pretty out-of-focus bits in an image. Um, so, when you talk about specifically... Uh, SLRs, uh, you know, and lenses with uh, apertures that you can change. Um, so when they talk about the blade, how many blades a lens has, uh, the only reason that how many blades a lens has really affects an image is in that bokeh, the out of focus, the soft bits of the image. So more aperture blades will give you a rounder bokeh and less aperture blades will give you a more, you know, pentagonal bokeh. Um, but so we are looking for beautiful images uh, with with bokeh. So uh, and then uh, something that might work is something uh, with shallow depth of focus, something in the foreground that's you know your subject matter, and then beautiful out of focus bits in the back. So this works really really well with things like Christmas lights. Um, 
and and other things like that. Uh, James, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, like uh, with with modern phones, you don't necessarily need a DSLR with a with a shallow depth of field. If you go in well, most of the newer phones made in the last year or two. Um, you can get a portrait setting that does a really decent job. It's not perfect, and it, you, you'll get a far better image with a with a DSLR or a shallow uh, lens. Or you could like but, uh, breathe on your lens and just wipe off the spot that you want clear. <laughs> <laughs> Photo I want to see somebody do that. Yeah, uh, you know, we cool. actually we actually used to smear like Vaseline on our lenses uh, for that same exact effect. Mm -hmm. Huh. So yeah, you can play around with it on your phone and you might find a setting called portrait mode where you'll take the picture and then it digitally edits the background or it tries to figure out what's background and what's real. Um, and I've been happy with the, the, the one I have. It's it's fairly decent, but uh, still not as good as when I pull out my, my, uh, my Panasonic. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Well, we do have a, a joke of the week. We have two. Uh, we have two of them. So Ooh. I'll do the first one. And uh, Will, I think you put in the second one. Uh, yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make sure... No, no, that no, was that's yours. That's yours. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Hey, I don't know that one. <laughs> I, I was talking with my daughter the other day, and I said, you know, I, I really don't trust those trees. And she looked at me and said, why not? And I said, well, they just seem a little shady. <laughs> that one's pretty good. <laughs> uh, you go, Will? Uh, this one is from Jeff Gruff in the live chat. Um, he's, he's like the, I think. I think if we had if we had a trophy to hand out for like most yeah. sad jokes contributed. Like oh yeah, get it. We should make uh, one. Oh yeah, he's unchallenged as the dad master. He's the king. Sad <laughs> <laughs> trophy. Yeah. <laughs> we get Paul Jackman to make the leg, leg lamp again. Uh, all right. I wanted to make sure I remembered everything about my time as a lumberjack, so I kept a log. Nice. I like that yeah, one. That was a that was a good yeah, one. That's a good one. That's a really good one. I can't believe this joke of the week thing is still going after <laughs> how long have you been doing this podcast for? Yes, yeah, so we did this all the way back in the uh, early days. Yeah, in the creator uh, the what is it? What did it used to be called? Crafted, Crafted podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, what are we uh, watching? Reading? What's inspiring us? Oh, what we should before you know. I had this idea. We should ask. We should ask our our live chatters. Who do you? Who should we have on the show? I mean, like realistically yeah alive people you know living living beings not you know in all history who, who would you guys like to have who would you guys like us to have as a guest on the show do you question zach since yes. you have a pretty good relationship with him is there any chance we can get jimmy i'm sure we could that would be that would be a good one yeah alex Steele. all right yeah i mean Roy Underhill. Wow you guys are really pulling yeah. out the big guns all right <laughs> i'll just text roy right now um that's a joke i don't have roy's number <laughs> uh all right uh what are we watching reading is that what we're on yeah yeah what you got james how about you gonna... oh fine throw it back at me <laughs> i have to go with uh frank house name butcher frank howarth um he if you haven't seen his channel he has the biggest most massive machines ever made for woodworking uh he has dedicated radial arm saws um, he has one that's dedicated to uh, dado blades and uh, a table saw island with three table saws in it and a band saw that is basically a, a, a milling saw set vertically. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> yeah, he's got the big Oliver Oliver thirty six. Right? Uh, Meg yeah. Brooklyn said that if you rub a wooden plane three times, Roy just appears in your shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I love it. But uh, he did a, a video on making mallets, and he wanted to make. Uh, he has these uh, finger jointed mallets that he does. Uh, he he was making a new one, but he was making them on his uh, on his CNC and. I love the way he does things because it is so opposite of most channels in that a lot of channels like to show the details of every step and how it was functioned and and coming up with interesting ways of doing it. Whereas Frank, you'll be watching along and he pulls out this jig that is incredibly intricate and designed for this one specific use and just skips over it. Um, and I love that. It's just, it adds, it, it focuses on the the work as opposed to the uh, the mechanics behind it. It's a slightly different way of doing it. Uh, but in this one video, he has like four or five odd jigs made specifically for this one task that uh, that suddenly appear out of nowhere. And it fits perfectly with him and his massive shop tools. Uh, just really cool channel. So if you haven't seen Frank, you've got to. But I think most of you follow him. Yeah. Somebody said the Wood Whisperer. We've actually had him on our show before. Yeah. So get with the program, buddy. I on the show. Yeah. What you got, Zach? Um, let me see. Uh, so I I got a book recently. Where's the link? <laughs> that's the that's it. <laughs> a book. Uh, I got a book. I got a book. I'm reading a book. Um, okay, so this is. I don't know why. Uh, like forging blacksmithing books are all really expensive. Um, I mean, here's a link. Uh, this one's forty bucks. I guess it's not terribly expensive, but compared to. A lot of stuff there they seem to be what's the name portions. of it it's called secrets of the forge beginning and intermediate projects for blacksmiths um i have a lot of like forging books and a lot of how-to books this is like this is a project book so it's not you know it's not like here's how to use a hammer here's how to what kind of it's not like a what you need to get started book it's just it's like simple beginner intermediate projects and the thing that I like about it is almost like most of the forging books that I that I have and that I've read, like you can tell they were made like 30 years ago and all the pictures are like grainy black and white pictures that are almost worthless. And, and they're you know, they're just not very they're not very visually interesting or appealing. They're like they almost feel like a textbook. So I like this one. Um, there's some really neat projects in there. So I've been kind of going through and picking out some of the ones that are that I feel like would be a challenge having at it. So he has a intermediate and advanced book that I'll, I plan on picking up here through this one. So if anybody's looking for a book and even some of the projects that I'm not going to do in there, like just reading through them, like I'm things and just kind of give me cool. ideas. So it's, it's just a good, solid, one of the better like smithing books that I've come across. The pictures are nice. Sweet. Yeah. That right. what you got, Will? Uh, so I gotta go with uh, Kimball Cody, who is a very chainsaw centric channel. And with the unfortunate events that happened with my chainsaw, I was looking into uh, other chainsaws, and he actually reviews the Farmer Tech um, G660, which is a clone of the Steel MS660. Uh, and he actually reviews it really, really well. Uh, and it's, so it's like a, if you buy a steel MS660, it's like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars $1,300. If you buy the farmer tech, it's like $300. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I've been watching. And he actually, I, uh, I think we might collaborate on something one day, but, uh, 
Cool. Yeah. So if you have any questions about anything chainsaws, Kimball Cody's the guy. Chainsaws and boots. I don't know. I think maybe he's a logger. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you're talking, what's your what's your favorite tool of the week? Uh, my favorite tool. So um, I just reorganized my office and I reclaimed this rack that was in my office closet and I put it down in the shop. And uh, Total Boat is one of my sponsors, uh, so they send me just a like a gross amount of product, like things I don't even know if I'll ever use, but um, like I've just got boxes and boxes of total boat stuff everywhere, but I really, really, really love their two to one epoxy and their penetrating epoxy. Uh, and I just found out that I have a coupon code for anybody that wants to save 20% uh, at totalboat.com. You can use WM Walker uh, at checkout and that's good for anything on totalboat.com and jamestowndistributors.com, which sells uh, festival stuff, uh, fine stuff, tight bond products, uh, 3M stuff. So 20% at Jamestown distributors. And that usually has free shipping too. So that's my, that's my stuff. Sweet. Yeah. What about you, Zach? Zach? Uh, magnets. Nice. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, we featured that before. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, not any particular kind. I just used yesterday. I was in the shop and I used like a lot of different types of magnets to do certain things. They're, they're really handy. Uh, for instance, uh, I got uh, like one of the magnetic knife holder things and I just stuck it to my forging press to hold all of my tools in place, like the ones that I use frequently there so I don't have to walk all the way across the shop to get them. They're just hand. And it's it's obvious, but it's not obvious until you think about it. Uh, so that's that's been handy. Also, for some of the stuff I was doing with um, knives yesterday with that, that surface plate, the granite surface plate. You just stick a magnet on the back of it so that you actually have enough, uh, you know, something to grab onto when you're flattening it. Same as on the belt grinder. Uh, something else I did is, you know, those metal protractors, the adjustable ones. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I magneted, <laughs> I stuck it, <laughs> to, I stuck it to the side of my grinder uh, on the slack portion and raised up the little angle thing to what I wanted and just used it. I didn't actually rest the knife against it, but I used it as like a visual guide to keep my angle kind of consistent. So there's just, just keep, keep magnets in the back of your mind and you'll use them for a lot of stuff. So the ones are ridiculously strong. So get some of those and be careful with them because they will pinch your skin off. I have a a 600 pound neodymium magnet. It's insane. That, uh, I'm terrified of the thing, but it's so much fun to play with. Yeah. So one of the things that I found, because I have some really strong ones too, is, I mean, one of the issues with the neodymium magnets when they get to be large is putting them on and getting them off. Like seriously, getting them, like if it's a big flat surface, you can't get them off. So one of the things that I'll do if I want to be able to remove it is I have like a thick um, scraper knife. I don't know. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Like a a putty knife. Yeah, but like it's kind of a thick one. Uh-huh. And so I'll stick the magnet on there so that when I'm putting it on things, I can kind of slowly tilt it down into it. Uh-huh. And also, if I need to remove it, I have a handle sticking out so I can pop it off that way. So that makes it easier to put uh-huh. the magnets on and off. And if you need nice. to reduce the strength, you can like sandwich something between the magnet and putty knife or what to call it. Good tip. I use small uh, rare earth magnets or neodymium magnets um, all over my lathe. So when you're turning, like I've got my wormwood screw and the key for the chuck and some other stuff 
and I've got all just like stuck to my lathe. So whenever I need something, it's right there. So another good magnet tip. Yeah. The only problem with magnet in a metal shop is that like they collect every tiny. I guess that could be a plus too, because it should hang one right beneath your nose when you're grinding. I don't know. <laughs> they should do that. Would be a good idea. Somebody should make a respirator that has like a magnet somewhere. But wouldn't that also attract things to your face? True, but it would detract them from getting from your lungs, I guess. I don't know. Why not just put a magnet on the other opposite side of what you're grinding? Because uh, I don't think it's strong enough. I mean, it would have to be really strong. Uh, I don't know. Uh, James, keep, what's your mouth when I grind? <laughs> well, I have to go with the uh, auger file. This is a file designed for sharpening auger bits, and it is safe on one side and um, rough on the face. And then on the other end, it's safe on the face and rough on the sides. Uh, so you can sharpen the auger without hitting the uh, without hitting the knickers or the uh, the shaft of the the auger. So a, a really useful tool. Once you have one and you've sharpened a few augers, it is amazing how often you pull it out just to clean up a clean up a bit before hitting it. It just takes a few seconds, and they cut so much faster, so much easier, and uh, a fantastic thing to have on. Yeah, definitely. If you use auger bits, it's the thing to have. Cool. Well, I think. That about does it. Do we have anything else we need? To? We do. So thank you for uh, wasting another hour with us. We have been having a lot of fun here. And if you'd like to find out more, you can uh, find us on patreon.com as well as join us on any of the regular podcasting sites. What is it? iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Sketcher. What are the other ones? There's a bunch of them. <laughs> We're on them all. So we'll see you every uh, Thursday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time. And until next week. Have a wonderful day. See you guys. See you later. Thanks again for listening to the Creators Collective. We publish weekly on Thursdays in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can follow us on social media pages everywhere at Creators Collective. We're also live streaming every week on Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Just look up the YouTube channel to join in on the fun of the live chat and get your questions answered live. And until next time, keep on creating.